My name is Jenny Brett. I am a PhD student at the University of Texas in San Antonio. I am studying cultural anthropology, and my research thesis is on volunteers and care networks, and specifically on material agency and material goods and how those material goods in this particular mission create and reinforce networks of care. In part two, we continue the conversation with Jenny Brett, a PhD student at the University of Texas. Today, an excellent place to start might be what Reverend Stephen Cushing says next, summarizing the last episode with the analogy of the misfit toys and tying that all together with the ministry of packing ditty bags and understanding why that is priceless. Now listen. I have this picture in my head, Dan. You remember um, the Christmas cartoon, um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And at the end, they end up at the land of misfit toys. You know, the, whoever wants a Charlie and that kind of thing. And eventually those misfit toys were redeemed and found a home in some child's place. So a lot of the stuff we have here, you and I in our world of high price iPads, iPhones, computers, gadgets, cars, and homes might look at some of these things as, like Jenny said, not having much economic value, but in terms of a spiritual value, when we stand there and just hand a seafarer a free t-shirt, their face lights up. Mm -hmm. Do they need the t-shirt? Need? No. But to know that somebody gave them a free gift is enormous. It, it just brightens their soul and their spirit. For that one brief moment, and sometimes we just need a bunch of those brief moments lined up one after the other so that you get a sense that I am not forgotten. And that is our mission statement to seafarers, that they will not be forgotten. Jenny, have you seen the impact the transfer of care has made in people's lives? I don't know that I see it in the seafarers that visit here very often. Um you do, there are quite a few who come regularly because it is a cruise ship ministry, which is lovely because you see the same people every week. And so you, you see them receiving and, and, um, dealing with their own goods. Um, but the sort of material goods that are transient in the center, the, the free t-shirts, the ditty bags, the prayer shawls, the sewing kits. I actually haven't seen any of those in use. And I don't know that I will, because most of them go to cargo ship, you know, crews and visitors that, that Steve will go to the ship and visit because I just don't have time to come over to the, the seafarer center. Um, really, in this case, I'm kind of working off of my personal experience um, and seeing the just the the smiles and the the joy in someone's face when uh, last summer, for example, we were um, gathering data for an environmental quiz. And so we were giving out gift baskets of free hats and T-shirts and lanyards. And whenever you handed a seafarer a, a bag, you know, they were opening up their little bags and comparing what kind of gifts they had inside. And just to see that that bright spot of of joy and, and what is really a difficult life is is really lovely. So is your thesis on the transfer of care? So 
it's a it's really about networks of care. So um, the work that Steve does is very important, and he is generally the the last transfer of care. So the seafarer receives it from the center itself, but it comes from a lot of different places. Um, the free T-shirts that Steve has come from various charity organizations around Boston and around New England. Um, and the volunteers come from all over the country. I think all of them are in the United States, but he has, you know, church groups that will knit hats and scarves and make sewing kits and pack ditty bags and make make the ditty bags themselves. Um, and so that network is really what I'm interested in and how those that network creates this sort of nexus of care that Steve is able to provide. So is there a title for your thesis? I don't yet. I'm still, uh, last summer was my pilot research. It was basically just, let me go and find out if there is enough data. And uh, this year I'm starting to, I realize there is plenty of data and there's absolutely a, a thesis here. And I just need to figure out what to take and what what to write about. So, so when will you be done with your PhD? Oh, Don't ever ask a PhD student that. <laughs> um, I hope to graduate in 2027. Um, so because I'm an anthropologist, one of the cornerstones of our uh, practice is a thing called participant observation. So one of the ways that we do research is by doing, which is why I'm here. Um, I volunteer here at the mission. So tomorrow I'll do the cruise ship ministry and wherever Steve asks me to go work, I'll work. And I, you know, I check in packages and clean the store, stock the store, price items, whatever Steve and Sharon need, I will do. Um, because we do participant observation and because we really get involved with our co-locutors, the, the people who we work with and who sort of allow us into their lives to, to gather what data we can, Our practice is a really long-term study. So most anthropologists will take 18 to 24 months of long-term data um, because I am in sort of a, a different life situation than most graduate students. I'm a little older, I have a family and my family is back in Texas. Um, I only have sort of brief periods of time. My daughter is still in high school. My husband is also an, a, a student. So my research is summertime type research, which is great here because the cruise ship ministry really kind of ramps up at the end of August or at the end of July. But it will take me a while to gather the data and to to sort of watch how changes happen and, and watch how they process and meet lots of people and spend time with lots of volunteers. It must be hard for you to be away from your family. It is. It is hard. Um, like I said, I was in the Navy for 20 years. So I think we have just grown used to it. Um, it doesn't ever get easier, but we have always lived like this, I think. Uh, I bet my partner when we were when we were in the Navy together, we were both in the Navy, so we have always spent time apart. Um, I think it's good for us. We just celebrated our 26th anniversary, so it seems to be working out okay. You must really understand about seafarers. I would like to think I do. I The reality is that the Navy is very, very different. Um, I have always been able to, in some way, communicate with my family when I, when I was at sea, whether it was, um, you know, we used to write letters in the early days, and then eventually we got email. And then um, the last couple of years I was in the Navy, we had web access. I know a lot of seafarers don't have that and don't have the 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 
ease of use that I had. Um, we also didn't stay out to sea for huge long periods of time. Um, and my work schedule wasn't nearly, you know, those men and women work every day essentially while they're at sea. And I didn't, I had a regular, well, not regular, but I had a, at least half a Sunday off every, every week. So I think it was easier for me, but I do know what it's like to be away from your family for six to nine months at a time, um, sometimes longer than that. And I, I know what it's like to be trapped in a metal box with 260 people that you may not like. Well, I guess crews aren't that big for seafarers either. Uh, it can be very isolating, um, which is one of the reasons that I really love seafarer centers. Because if nothing else, when you meet that ship visitor or you come to the seafarer center, it's a friendly face who you don't know and you don't have any beef with. Um, you you don't dislike that person, which you may dislike the rest of your crew because you've been stuck with them for so long. So it's just nice to see a friendly face and they're always kind and they're always fresh. And so um, I'm happy to be one of those friendly faces for now. I love how you said you do research by doing. Mm. So what sort of uh, data have you collected by doing? And will you be coming out with the book at the end of it? Uh, I mean, I'm writing a, a dissertation. So that'll be a lot of dissertations do get turned into books. I would like to say that I will get it turned into a book. I'm hoping that I do. Um, I did present. Um, so the NAMA, the North American Maritime Ministry Association, uh, had a school recently where they trained new chaplains. And I did a small presentation for them um, on my work and, and basically the, the transfer of care through material goods. And I'll be presenting something similar probably at the upcoming NAMA conference where a lot of the partner organizations that work with NESM will be. Um, so I do, um, present my work and, and talk about it. And I'm hoping to write papers in the academic realm about it. Um, ideally though, I would love to publish a, a book for um, for everyone to read because I would like there to be a bigger understanding of what a seafarer center is and the the need for care for a seafarer. Were there any surprises as you've conducted your research? Hmm. So I think the biggest surprise um, I have a degree in women and gender studies in addition to my degree in anthropology, and I initially came expecting there to be a gender division in seafarer care. Um, I'm not exactly sure what I expected that to look like, but I haven't experienced that here at all. I don't know if that is how the missions in, throughout the United States operate. Um, I do know that most of the chaplains and pastors are men, which is pretty standard, um, but there are women. And I was very pleased, pleasantly surprised to find out that Steve specifically asks after women on board um, because the woman, the life of a woman at sea is a very, very difficult one. Um, in the Navy, about 15% of people in the Navy are women. Um, that's actually a little less at sea. A lot of women in the Navy have administrative roles that don't go to sea as often. So at sea, there's usually like there's 12% of us that do go to sea regularly. In the commercial maritime world, um, cargo ships are about 1%. Um, cruise ships are obviously a little more, but it's still a very, very difficult life for women. Um, and we have different, 
you know, roles and different expectations on us in everyday life. So um, I was pleasantly surprised to find out that Steve is aware of and specifically asks for those people um, to make sure that they're okay. We hear many stories from Steve and a couple of episodes ago, we got Sharon to give her perspective on how she sees this mission and what she's been getting out of it. I'm curious about your perspective with your non-religious background, how you see things here and what's been interesting for you and what keeps you here. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing from from my perspective or, or from and I don't I really don't know what it looks like from other people's perspective looking at me. Um it's it's interesting for me to introduce myself to other, you know, to visitors, whenever a visitor comes to the center and I'm here, I always get in. Steve is always very happy to introduce me. Um, but the the fact that I am a non-religious person and I'm working in a mission is always very interesting to people. Um, I think one of the things that people, A, people don't realize that Seafarer Centers exist. Um, but once they find out that they exist, they always ask, you know, oh, is is there an option for secular work? And there really isn't. And I'm curious about why that is. Um, and that was one of my initial research questions was why are all of these organizations religiously based? That's a bad way to put that, I think. But um, I, and I understand, oops, I understand why missions exist. That's not my question. Um, I was raised Catholic. I've I'm not surprised that missions exist. I am surprised, I well, I'm less surprised now that they are are not organizations that are secular in nature that are looking out for seafarer welfare. Um, and I the what I've learned is that those organizations do exist. They just exist in a different way than religious organizations do. Um, religious organizations are more invested in individual seafarer, wel seafarer welfare, whereas secular organizations are usually more invested in improving the industry to remove the conditions that cause bad seafarer welfare. Um, and so I think you won't necessarily find secular groups who are providing ditty bags or you know, markets or phone cards, but you will find them lobbying for change in the maritime industry. You will find them um, providing legal care for seafarers whose ships have been abandoned in foreign ports and they're, you know, trapped on board and they're not being paid. Um, so those secular organizations do exist, but they're very different than the organizations like the missions and the, the maritime ministries. But as a sailor, I didn't experience that because our working conditions were theoretically healthy and safe. I mean, we were United States based and so we were OSHA compliant and, you know, always had the right safety gear and theoretically got plenty of sleep. That is absolutely not the case, but there's no really no, there are lobbies to help us. And but most of those lobbies are ourselves. Um, but you don't really see it as far as seafarer welfare goes. The the ones in the front are usually ministries. 
Um, and so as a sailor, I was very curious as to why all of these organizations are religious um, and why we never just go to a pub that doesn't have a religious affiliation. But um, anybody can volunteer here. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think non-religious folks would really have no, there's not a lot of information out there that opportunities like this exist. Um, I know Steve in the past has had um, community groups, groups from businesses who have come to volunteer. Um, and that also is is part and parcel to the network that he's created in Boston. So the organizations that he takes donations from and has connected with, they will then advertise that this volunteer opportunity is here. And so groups can come and work together and, and help out their community. And I think that's a really great thing. Um, one of the reasons that I'm so excited about being here, and like I said, I just landed here, is that Steve is so good at making those connections in a way that I think a lot of other people are not. Um, and especially in the city of Boston, which if you're not from here, can seem a little cold sometimes. Bostonians are not known for being friendly and open. Um, the reality is, of course, that we are very friendly and open. We just don't have time to be kind. We're we're kind. We're just not nice. Um, we're very brusque and very very quick. Um, but we're also very big hearted and very willing to help. And um, we just don't want to make a big deal about it and want it to be quiet. Um, and but Steve is a master of connecting people who want to help. And so a lot of his connections are sort of under the radar and a lot of his volunteers come from church groups um, or come from the religious um, colleges that he has connections with. So while there are volunteer opportunities for non-religious persons, um, it's very difficult to get those people to come here. And I think religion, um, especially in 2023, is very, very difficult Um for non-religious people to overcome and to to feel comfortable. And I mean, I feel very comfortable here. I'm a very non-religious person, but um, I think that's down to Steve and Sharon. And I, I wonder sometimes if I had gone to see Ferris Friend, if I would have the same experience and still be back this summer. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to the the welcoming atmosphere that that is created here. Um, it's hard to say, but yes, I wish more non-religious people knew that seafarer center centers exist um but i also understand why they may not want to support an organization that is religious in nature corporations and companies used to create or give their employees opportunities to go and participate in various community services but it seems like that's a thing of the past yeah it really does seem that way um I think especially in this, uh, or not post-COVID, but in this in this world where everything changed sort of in 2020, 2021, I think a lot of people made changes and haven't thought about making them come back. Um, I think there's a, a, a disconnect between the community and individuals and, and even individuals like companies. Um, but I do think the mission is a really incredible community space. I just don't think a lot of people realize that it exists or is available to them. Well, um, is there anything that you want to share with us? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really think 
this is just a personal thing. Um, I think I would like for more people to know about anthropology as a field um, and what sort of data we dredge up and write about and find. Um, I think a lot of people don't know what anthropology is. A lot of colleges don't really push it. Um, people know about history and psychology and sort of these clinical research areas. Um, it is qualitative research. I don't really deal in numbers. I deal in in vibes. Um, but it's really important, I think, to understand how a community works and to be able to um, respect that every community works differently and, and understand different cultures and how um, how different cultures can interact. And I think anthropology is a great way to introduce things like missions to the general public um, and to people who may not have heard of them because I'm hoping that I can bridge the gap between a religious community and the lay community and sort of prove that we're all just humans and everybody needs care and everybody needs love and everybody needs attention. Um, and whether you're giving it or receiving it, you're benefiting from that. So I'm hoping that I can write a dissertation that respects all of those things. Um, and I'm hoping that I can spread the word about seafarers missions and about the plight of the seafarer. Uh, my goal is that essentially we don't need seafarers missions anymore because we will just be doing that as a human race anyway. Um, I would like to see the maritime industry change in such a way that seafarers welfare is not a concern for anyone. That's That would be my ultimate goal. I do love the seafarers mission, but I would love it more if seafarers didn't have to worry about whether they were going to get paid on time or whether they could access food from home or, you know, whether someone cared about them. Amen. I pray that we may all become concerned world citizens who would fight for the wellness and welfare of all human race so that we genuinely don't need an agent of grace like New England Seafarers Mission in the future. It reminds me of what the Lord said in Deuteronomy 15.4, There need be no poor people among you, not only because God will bless us when we follow His ways, but because He also told us to cancel debts every seven years. No one should go bankrupt and become poor because they can't repay their debts. The spirit behind the law is for us to all become compassionate and empathetic human beings, caring for people in need. When we all do that as a society, there won't be anyone lacking anything among us. But until that day comes, we need agents of grace. Thank you once again to Jenny Brat for joining me on this podcast. And may the Lord bless your research and journey toward completing your PhD. This was my coffee break with Reverend Stephen Cushing and Jenny Brett. And I am Dan Lee, your host. We will see you in the next episode.